Because the bottom line is really caring for animals. And if you care for the animals, you've got to respect both sides of these issues. Um, and the animal's welfare is more important than the ideal, to be honest. Um, so if you, I think if you have the animals in mind, you're thinking of animal welfare, the well-being of the animals. Yeah. But if you have the ideal first and foremost in your mind, then you're putting the animals second. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales, where we talk about my favorite subject, animals. Today is a, a really interesting episode. I'm talking with Megan O'Malley, who was a member of the circus band. She was a musician who toured with Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus for five years. She came away with some interesting perspectives about the circus and particularly the animals. I came across her information online talking about circus animals and her amazing experiences. And there, of course, were those who had to, had to have the alternate voice and let her know that she was misguided. But yet she had lived it, she had seen it, and felt like she wanted to talk about it. It was a really cool time in her life. And she ha gained a new respect for the animals and the people who loved, cared for, and worked with them. I know you'll enjoy this interesting and informative conversation with Megan. Hello, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you. So uh, for those, our listeners, introduce yourself. Tell us what, you're, what you were doing. You were with Ringling Brothers Circus, which is what we're going to talk about. So what you do now and what you were doing when you were on the show. Sure. Um, so I am a musician, or at least I try to be most of the time. I play the trombone. <laughs> And um, I've been studying music for probably more than two decades now. Um, so at the time, I worked for Ringling Brothers between 2012 and 2017. So that was the period of time uh, when I joined in 2012. It was just going on as normal, 146 years of history. And by the time the circus was getting ready to close, 2016, 2017, that was the time that they removed the elephants from the show. And also they closed the circus the following year. Um, oh, so that's okay. a little bit about me. And then currently I'm on tour with uh, Tootsie the Musical, which is based on the movie with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Awesome. So I came across you. I saw a post online and you were, I think you were posting something along the lines of, this is how I feel after my experience. And for those of you who don't agree with me, go ahead and unfriend me. And it was about, <laughs> about Ringling Brothers circus and your your direct experience being there and being around the animals and how you felt about that so if you want to talk about that a little bit tell us what what prompted you to do that why following up in that way sure um so i was on my way i'm, I'm on this tour right now and as you said we visit a bunch of different cities across america and we were on our way to cincinnati and i knew before i get it before getting to Cincinnati, that I was going to be meeting up with a lot of my old circus friends, including my former boss. I was going to be visiting the circus train car that I used to live on, which is now part of the Cincinnati dinner train, oh, uh, cool. which is super cool. They bought the car and they renovated it at a cost of, I think, $65,000 to themselves, but it looks gorgeous. Um, I knew I was going to be interacting with animals thanks to a uh, keeper that I knew at the Cincinnati Zoo. And so knowing all of this, before going back out on tour, we were coming back from a layoff. 
um, I went through some of my circus memorabilia that I keep and it's just, you know, the usual stuff. It's like programs, little scraps of notes that I got from people thanking me for parts of the show, my old ID cards, all kinds of things, pictures, whatever. So I, I was enjoying going through all this nostalgia and I posted pictures of it online and none of it was inflammatory. It was just, you know, pictures of programs, pictures of my former circus IDs. And it had very little to do with the animals. But the thing with sharing things publicly <laughs> is, is that there is always going to be one person who has to soapbox on your content and who has to, unfortunately, um, kind of make your content about them and their opinions. So that's what happened. And I was half expecting it, and it did unfortunately happen. So I had a person comment and say, oh, Ringling closed because they were abusing animals because of animal cruelty. It was something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Right. Um, so first of all, just the, the statement as opposed to a question um, as though telling me why Ringling closed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So th- this is what prompted me to write the post that I wrote uh, defending the okay. people who worked with circus animals. Um, I knew that I was going to be sharing a lot of other memories that had more to do with the animals and more to do with my time on the circus in the coming two weeks. And I did not want my posts to become a soapbox for those opinions. And I didn't want my content to be considered something that people could question or use to cross-examine me and my experience with the circus. So that was why that was what prompted me to, to write that post and also to just reaffirm that whether I'm employed with Feld Entertainment or not, that does not change what I saw and experienced on the circus. And um, no amount of YouTube videos or other opinions changes what I actually experienced, um, which was quality animal care, which was compassion and professionalism at all times. That was what I witnessed in the five years um, that I was on Ringling Brothers. And again, I'm a musician. So, yeah, let me just throw out my disclaimer. I'm a musician. I'm not an animal specialist. I just hung out with animal specialists. There you go. <laughs> so that, that's my background of experience. And also my opinions do not, and what I experience, do not reflect on any of my employers, past or present. Yeah. There's your disclaimer. Yeah. This is all coming from me and my personal experience. I have a saying in it. It was one of the reasons I started the podcast that we tend, especially with social media, I think this has always happened, but it's easy now because we have emojis. So I think of the happy face emoji or the little heart and the hugging emoji. And then on the other side, you've got the angry face emoji and the tear, uh, the Mm -hmm. crying emoji. And I've always, Mm -hmm. I've always felt like I did a lot of media training when I was younger and grew up with animals. So I, I know this story intimately. I always felt like we, we quickly applied either happy or sadness to to things we didn't know, and particularly animals, especially now where we're so emotional. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the actual information, the, the information, the solution, for me, the training, all that lies in the middle, and it's the thinking emoji, the, hmm, be thoughtful, be curious. And to the point of the person who came out and said something, it's, I thought what you said was great. They weren't asking you, like, is that the case? They're basically telling you. And likely somebody who has never seen or gone to a circus, that's the typical scenario. But get to the middle, be curious, be thoughtful, be inquisitive, like want to know more, right? If there is an issue, why not want to know more about it 
in an inquisitive fashion instead of being very emotional. I, too, have had plenty of social media posts uh, just vilified because I actually yeah. work with animals and grew up with elephants. So back to your story, what you wrote was was beautiful and that it was so authentic that this is my experience. I'm not speaking to any other circus or any other animals or any other scenario. This is what I experienced. Do you have any particular stories or funny or, um, you know, emotional stories about the animals or thing, something that happened on the show that you want to share with us? I mean, there are so many good stories and I was only quote unquote, only there for five years, which is actually a short period of time in the 146 year history that was Ringling Brothers. Um, so my boss who was there for 20 years would have better stories than I do. Who was, who was the band leader when you were there? It was Brett Barlow. Okay. And he was there for, I believe, 23 years. Awesome. Um, he was very much my mentor and uh, guide to circus life as soon as I joined. Red um, or blue so- unit? Red. I was on the red unit. Red unit. So you lived on the train. That's right. Yep. I lived on the train on the band car. It was called the band car because mostly band members lived there. Um, my boss had his own quarter car, though. He was fancy because he lived there with his family. But most of us were on the band car. Yeah. I'm talking with Megan O'Malley about her experiences while touring with Ringling Brothers Circus as part of the band and how she experienced many facets of circus life, including the animals. So Megan, what were your favorite animals? Did you have a favorite? Uh, I had, I mean, we loved all the animals, but you know, we all had our personal favorites as well. Um, Among the elephants, I did really appreciate Asia, the elephant and Mabel, the elephant. Um, Asia was older. She was in her like late thirties, early forties, I believe when I was on the show and she was like the consummate elephant performer. Like she had a performance <laughs> mindset. Um, elephants are extremely intelligent animals. And, you know, there are, there are different personalities that you see in them. And Asia knew when she was the center of attention. And she knew um, how to manipulate that and make, it a, make things about her. <laughs> yeah. So... She was the one used for a lot of Ringling's uh, photo shoots for the red unit and advertisements and things because she would pose and she would hold it forever. She was, she just loved being a model and being asked like Asia trunk, Asia foot, you know, like, so she would hold up her foot and just like pose. She was a beautiful posing elephant. Um, She loved to um, do her dance moves like to perfection the way she wanted them done. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, she was a a lot of fun to watch during the show. And we actually had a little moment together during the show, which started to develop maybe like three or four years in. Um, A lot of performers will tell you that after they've done a show like 100, 200 times, you start to have little kind of uh, moments between each other on stage, like where you just kind of wink at each other on your ways on and off the stage and stuff. And Asia and I had a thing like that. She would do a spindle turn and she would stop facing the bandstand. And I used to kind of bob a little bit while I was playing. And I think the light from the show caught my bell or something and flashed at her. And so she started bobbing her head like in time <laughs> with my emotions. And so eventually like she would do it first and then I would start following her or like I would initiate it and then she would do it with me. So that was our little performer moment in the show that's cool um, so yeah so that's what i really loved about asia was that she was like a professional elephant um and then mabel was a lot younger i honestly don't know how old she was i want to see say between eight and ten years old 
but she was so incredibly smart. But not only that, she was super curious. A lot of the elephants on our show, um, they were trained to do specific things such as paint or maybe dunk a basketball through a hoop. Not every elephant wanted to do these activities. And the elephants that did, they continued to do them. And the elephants that didn't, didn't have to do those activities. So we had one or two elephants that kind of liked the paint, but they weren't like deeply into it. Mabel was enthusiastic. She would like grab the paintbrush and be like, and like sling paint everywhere. And then when she was finished, what was awesome about Mabel is she would set the activity down and go, you could see her almost ask, what's next? What can I do next? So she knew more tricks than any other animal that we had. She could dunk a basketball. She could do bowling. She could do soccer. She could spin a jump rope. She could paint. She could do all kinds of things. And it was because she was curious and she really wanted to do new things. So her trainers were constantly looking for stimulation for her. So she was a blast to be around. Um, And I always also noticed that her favorite food was carrots. And I did personally wonder if that like contributed to her intelligence, (laughs) eating her vegetables. I don't know. Because the other elephants, you know, most like most of us, they like sweets, you know, but Mabel would be given her fruit and she would pick out all the carrots and eat them one by one. And it was her favorite. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Elephants love sweets, boy. they'll, they'll, they'll shake you down for cotton candy. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, Zoist the horse. He was um, one of those big black stallions, Uh beautiful animal, but he could march in time to music. And he was also like a very professional animal. He was super calm. Nothing faced him. So he would come prancing out in time to the music and just do his rounds looking gorgeous. And the audience would go, ooh, you know, and he was just so cool and so chill to be around. So you made lots a point. Of, lots of great you made a point that I have a dog podcast as well. And on our last episode, uh, my co-host Tommy Fahey and I were talking about training animals. And I've trained a lot of animals. My father was also an elephant trainer and uh, grew up with elephants, actually, the elephants that I grew up with as a little girl ended up on Ringling Brothers when my parents went with the show. And wow. yeah, Topsy, Toby, and Eva. And it was such a great experience growing up with animals, but also the training. You really do. People don't understand this. They just, they lump everything into a category, especially the naysayers. But all animals that I've worked with in my wheelhouse are horses and dogs, They're animals. We're going to train all of them for a foundation because it's what we need to do. It's the loving and responsible thing to do for our animals so that they're well cared for, so that they're behaved, they have manners, and uh, they, they will usually not come into harm's way. From there, then, we look at their personalities and decide where to take that. And we just talked about horses who are like, what's next? What can I do next? Or dogs, like how excited. And you just talked about that with the elephant. Uh, Mabel, that she was like, what, what do you got for me next? And it's so much fun because they're so enthusiastic. But we do take their personalities. Some elephants don't want to do all the extra stuff or some horses or dogs. And so we, we work with them accordingly. Again, with the idea right. that they all have to have a foundation because all of them have to march from the train to the building, right? They do the animal walk. And yeah, right, exactly. The training like, in that alone is amazing. Yeah. And like painting is not a necessary action. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like every elephant is not required to learn how to paint. No one is sitting there forcing any elephants to paint. It's, it's a thing that's tried. If they like it, great. If not, there's no painting elephants. Who cares? Well, I can Um, tell you. Yeah. Go ahead. 
what's more important is the animal's safety, of course. So you want things like Asia foot, you know, so you want Asia to pick up her foot. And that's not just for show, that's for veterinary care. It's easier to tell Asia to lift her foot and have her do it as a calm, normal act that she can do rather than to have to chase her down to a corner and sedate her or restrain her. Like it's so much easier to have that training just for, for safety for the animal and for the people around the animal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, more many of the experts I've had on this podcast have talked about that, that we the animals that are trained like animals in show business that perform are the ones that are a lot of times used in research and easy to get data on because you could get around them. They're more curious about it. Like for uh, reproduction of Asian elephants, they're highly endangered. We're going to lose our Asian elephants without human intervention. And the uh, one of the greatest experts on the perpetuation of the Asian elephant, he was also the vet on the show, Dr. Dennis Schmidt was on my podcast and talking about how he feels comfortable getting around the trained elephants. They're palpating them. They're ultrasounding them. We need them to lay down, do stuff. And when you tranquilize, uh, especially exotic animals, it's really a dangerous place to go. So I've always been thrilled to be in an industry where we can ask our animals to do things they're trained to do. And instead of being nervous, if anything, they're more inquisitive. What's he got? Why is he doing that? What's going on? You know, instead of, oh, my God, it's terrifying. So, yeah, yeah that and great points. And you picked up a lot for somebody coming into it in that way. You you picked up a lot of it. I know the show also teaches this. They do these uh, educational seminars and such, but kudos to you for, for learning about this stuff and being willing to put it online and tell that story. My last episode of Animal Tales was Dr. Ted Friend, who traveled with the show in the 2000, early 2000s and did studies on the elephants and big cats. And it was transport training and performance. And he found That's out, awesome. yeah, he found out the stress. They, the animals didn't have a lot of stress. The transport was fine, the temperature. When, it, when they had issues were when the music came on for the show and yeah. they wanted to go work. And there was an instance where an elephant was left out of the show because it was on uh, med, you know, some kind of medical rest and wasn't allowed to perform a few shows. That was the most stress he saw in his study was that the elephant wasn't allowed to perform and the music came on. It's like, wait, I'm on, you know? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. And I was excited about those studies as well because he's a scientist and because people are so vocal about particularly elephants. And the irony, Megan, in that, and you were around a lot of animals, it's always about the elephants. But yet, mm-hmm. as you know, on the circus, we treat all the animals the same. They travel mm-hmm. the same way. The training is the same when you're training exotic animals, zebra, camel, llama, horses, dogs, it's operant conditioning. The training method is the same. They walk to the building the same way and they're in the stable. So Mm -hmm. it becomes about elephants, but that's because elephants have become a great fundraiser for the animal rights groups. I always say, doesn't anybody care about our camels or llamas? Because you have a lot of those animals on the show, too. I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit about some of the... You mentioned, I think, Zeus the horse. Uh, you were yeah. the unicorn year, were you? No, no, that was before that my That was time. earlier. Okay, yep. So what other kind 20, of animals? Plenty of other animals. There were snakes. There oh. were weasels. There was a cockatiel. There were rabbits. There were 
we had some kind of alpaca thing for a little while. I forget what it was called. It wasn't actually an alpaca. It was a Brazilian version of an alpaca. Okay. Um, so, and then we had uh, a whole host of camels for quite a while. Of course, the tigers, um, different types of horses, so quite a variety of horses came through. Um, so there were a lot of animals and a lot of them had different personalities and not every animal on the show performed. The alpaca creature that I mentioned um, never performed, never performed. It was just there to be trained, um, to interact with people. And then after a while, it went off to wherever it, it may have been privately owned. Okay. Um, so, yeah, all of these animals, though, we were allowed to interact with to an extent, you know, it just sure. varied depending on the animal and with veterinary supervision, of course, or with a vet tech or handler present. Yeah. So um, through that, even though I'm just a musician, I was able to interact with those animals daily um, at all times of day. Sometimes we'd be coming home from a show at 11 o'clock at night or midnight or so, and you could walk through the elephant barn if you wanted to and have a conversation with the handlers there who were your friends, um, or you could walk through the stables. The camels were privately owned by Ryan Henning, who still owns them to my knowledge. Yes, he does. Um, so cool. So my, my favorite camel was Moose at the time. Moose was like a kind of a younger camel, but he was very fluffy. Um, maybe he still had his baby for, I don't know, but he was very huggable. Uh. <laughs> and he was also very calm. So I would give him a good squeeze once in a while. Um, so yeah, the camels were great to interact with and see. Um, so yeah, there were, there were lots of different types of animals that we were allowed to interact with with supervision that were just, just beautiful to be around. Did, yeah. I don't think people realize camels can be, you know, uh, huggable and I've been around a lot of camels. Some are just like, leave me alone. I'll do my thing. And that's yeah. the end of it. And others are very inquisitive. Not to bother. <laughs> yeah. Who wanted to be left alone. And they make that clear as well through their body language, they what they want do. or what they don't want. So yeah. Moose would come over to the fence and be like, here I am. You may, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity yes. to adore me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Also, you you talked about a time when one of my favorite times with animals, and I, I always love being on the road with animals. I'm parked right outside in my RV and my favorite time is that in the evening when we've given them their night hay and they're munching, everybody's content, they're well stimulated, they've worked, their brains and their body have been, you know, physically and mentally active. And then they're relaxing and just munching on the hay and the sweet smell of the hay combined with all the animal smells, even the manure. I just love it. It's 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 one of my favorite times of day. So I, like you, I probably would have always made my way through the animal tents and barns to, to see them Absolutely. at the end of the day. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure you know, and I don't know if you have any stories about this, but circus animals are highly regulated and people don't know that. I'll see on posts sometimes. They shouldn't allow this. Somebody should have regulations. In fact, they're very highly regulated at the federal level. And then mm -hmm. every state fish and wildlife has their input and then you even get everyone from the local animal catcher and beyond out inspecting. And yeah. one of the tactics is to call the, call the officials at the state, federal, or local level and say, I saw this on an animal or I saw that or you need to go check. And they're required to come out and check. I don't know if you you know, have any input on any of those type of instances or not. Um. You know, I don't have a load of experience on that, just that I observed that in every city, we had our own vet techs, we had our own veterinary team of about 15 people that was vet techs, veterinarians and handlers, um, people trained in animal husbandry. And then also in each city, we had local veterinarians come in, in every 
city that I observed. So yeah, they would come in. I wasn't always there when they came in, but uh, they would come in and inspect the animals before we did any performances. That was one of the first things that happened. Um, In general, when we arrived in a city, the animals were taken care of first. And that meant that if the train got delayed, the elephant cars were separated and the elephants were taken to the arena quickly so that they wouldn't have to wait on the train like the rest of us schmucks. Um, And the, the, the... Tigers and camels were transported by uh, RV and by personal, like their little trailers. So they were also brought to the arenas or to their um, animal enclosures uh, ahead of the human beings so that they could be cared for, so that they could stretch their legs and so that they could be most comfortable. So um, that is what I observed. And occasionally we did have uh, members of the USDA travel with us on the train to observe the animals in transport. Um, we had them there to, to see the animals immediately when they arrived to witness the unloading of the animals and how they appeared when they arrived in each city, whether they were in good health, that sort of thing. Yeah. Because you do not want a sick or injured animal to perform. You want to make sure everyone is not stressed and in top condition. So, yes, there were always veterinary members on staff with us and also in each city, which is something I should say the humans did not get <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so humans did not have doctors on the train. I guess we would have had to call a veterinarian if we had a medical issue during transport. <laughs> yeah, they probably probably could have helped you out. Yeah, having yeah. <laughs> grown up with animals and, and Ringling Brothers as a child and then all the other circuses pretty much in the United States, that uh, the animals always come first and when we're home training. So in my family, it, it that's the way it was. I always say we're like farm family, circus people. They're, uh, you know, everybody works and on the circus. I'm sure you could speak to this a bit. The the little kids, everybody kind of has a job, even to the elders. And everybody's involved. Everybody works. And it's a team effort. And mm-hmm. uh, the animals come first in everything. But what about the families and that you experienced on the show? You, It's a, such a cultural immersion, isn't it? It's like the mini United yeah. Nations to be on the show. Yeah, what a, what a lot of people don't really understand is that it's not just the job. It's not just a, another theater show. Um, and it's not just a production like a lot of the other film shows like Disney on Ice. Um, there are set end times for those shows. There are seasons for those shows. And the circus had seasons as well. We had the red, blue, and gold units that crisscrossed the country and toured on a set schedule. And there were people who lived in the circus. And that's something that I think a lot of people who've never been in that type of environment find difficult to wrap their heads around. Right. That people were born into the circus. You know, you're not, you don't work for like uh, Microsoft and get born in the office, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe you do, but, but in general, like you, there were people who were born into the circus and who lived their life in the circus and died in the circus. It was an entire lifestyle. It wasn't just a show. So we had entire families uh, with us who would travel by RV if they had a large family or lived on the train. Um, The kids went to school. We had schools um, that certified the kids for kindergarten through 12th grade education, and then they could graduate and go on to college, and they could pursue circus, or they could go on to something else. I think a lot of them did stay in circus, Mm -hmm. Um, but some of them wanted to do other things and so went off to do other things. Um, So, yeah, you could have a whole family living on the show with all of their pets and, you know, getting married, um, (laughs) separating, whatever, all the drama that comes along with being in a family. Yeah. um, With your 
job, I guess, you know, in, in the circus. And as a, as a musician coming in again, I was only there for five years. So that just goes to show like how I was kind of an outsider coming into this world. And there are people who are born into it who are like the quote unquote real circus people um, who for them, it is their entire life. And so that would, that was really an amazing thing to witness just the dedication and the work ethic that, that went into the show because of that, because it was a part of their lives and not just a job that you wake up and do and then put it down. Like it was, it was their life. Yeah. And I'm fortunate to have, I'm a third generation American animal trainer, circus performer, and proud of that heritage. It gets, I get hammered away at, but I've, I've, ex- I've experimented in a lot of different areas outside of the circus. And I always kind of come back to it. It's because I love the culture of it and I love the community, whatever the community is. I do believe children need to grow up in some kind of a community. sounds like probably when you were young, you were a band kid, right? You were in the band at school and such. And, you know, sports, arts, drama, whatever it is, we have to, we have to find some community. I think it might be part of what happens in our country today that worries me a bit. And uh, growing up with generational families was really cool. And our animals, yeah. we were, the, we were the animal side. So we can, I can name every animal that we had and, or we trained for other people. And it's such a rich experience. I want to, um, Ask you if you ever saw the picketers or experienced any of that. Mo- typically, Ringling. Just before you, I was on the gold unit uh, of mm-hmm. Ringling and uh, earlier, a little earlier. But mm-hmm. we always had picketers at the shows, and I know yeah. the the main units right. as well. Talking about like animal rights activists, yeah. then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before joining the circus as a musician, I had actually never seen a circus. I had no idea what to expect. And I did, before I went, do a little bit of my YouTube research. And I saw some of the typical um, kind of propaganda footage and photos and videos and stuff. And I was worried. I'm going to be honest. I had never seen a show. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, I'm going to give up my job um, and go join this circus. And I don't really know what I'm getting into. So I just said to myself, well, you know, it's not fair to pass any judgments right now. I don't actually know I'm not there. So let me get there and see what it's like. So I did that. And within the first couple of months, I did notice because uh, go figure, I joined like right before we went to Virginia. Um, (laughs) So which is near PETA's headquarters. And so there were there were quite a few activists outside uh, waving signs with megaphones, yelling very loudly. Um, they had props. They had people dressed up in animal costumes and little cages to sit in and whatever else. All this stuff you normally see on the media. So I did see these people, and um, I also was learning about my job and also learning about the show. And I was—I still didn't know anybody yet. Probably I waited about a month or so. Um, and then one day there, there were just a lot of activists outside. So I went out outside, I looked at their signs, I looked at what they were saying. And there was there was a group of people who were saying who had a little a bull hook. Uh, I can't remember if it was like a real one or not. But they were saying it was sharp and that it was used for stabbing and prodding elephants and for hitting them and for making them bleed and hurt. So I, I looked at what they had in their hand. And uh, like, I honestly, I don't remember it was years and years ago. But I was like, that doesn't look like what we have backstage. So I turned around and went back into the arena and I went to the animal compound. And at this point, I knew some of the handlers and trainers. So I went to my friend Bernadette, who was an animal handler. And I said, hey, Bernadette. 
Can I please see your bull hook? Like, I've never actually seen one up close at this point. I've only been in the circus for about a month. So she was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and she had it in her belt and she took it out and handed it to me. And it was really light, um, super light, like maybe conductor baton light. And I think it was made of fiberglass also. And the head was made of what looked like aluminum. Like I said, the thing was very light. It was rounded and, um, yeah, it was not at all sharp. I didn't really see how it could be used to stab anything. Um, and then Bernadette kind of described to me how it's shaped to be like the point of a bull elephant's tusk, because that's how naturally female elephants respond to direction from bull elephants from yeah. their tusk, touching them. Right. So she described to me the use of the bull hook and I looked at it and I was like, this is not what they're saying outside. And it was incredibly frustrating to me because of what I wanted was to run back outside and say, you guys, you guys, look, this is what a real bull hook is like. But there are like a hundred people out there angry and screaming and waving signs. Yeah. And I'm just one person who's been there for a month. You know, it doesn't, no one's going to listen to me. Right. <laughs> so I continued to observe um, what protesters were saying versus what I was seeing backstage. And anytime I had a question, I just went back and asked. Um, the specific pictures that activists were using, I noticed that they were using the same like five photos over and over again. And I was like, man, what, where are these photos from even? Are they even our circus? And I went back inside and asked about it. I went to the animal compound and asked the handlers, like, where are these photos from? And they're like, oh, yeah, those are ringling photos. They're just extremely out of context. They've been cropped. They've been using those same photos for over a decade. And they do show like an elephant being restrained, but like they, like you can find these photos online, obviously. All oh, you yeah. can do is Google like baby elephant training and it'll probably pop up. So the main photos they use are a series um, of actual like photos from a ringling handler of a baby elephant being restrained. And everyone, when they look at these photos, your first instinct and mine too was to kind of cringe and go, Oh no, it's a baby animal tied down. Um, but you have to, really look at that photo look at it like is the animal bleeding are they bruised are they malnourished are they tied with chains the answer to all these by the way right now is no yeah 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 <laughs> are they tied down on concrete or on broken glass or something that'll hurt them no it's tied down on soft sand sand right the ropes are cushions so it won't cut into the baby's arms and legs you can look at the baby's eyes and physical cues are very important so are the baby elephant's eyes like super wide like it's terrified right no so the, the bottom line is like, and the photo is cropped very tightly around the baby animal. Do we know if the baby's mother was present? Do we know yeah. if there are veterinarians present or if this was for a medical reason? Like we don't even know the purpose. All we know is what animal activists are feeding us. Exactly. So an animal activist standing outside with a sign with a picture like that, with a caption that says tortured and abused, but look at the photo. Is the animal tortured and abused? And the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> are they tied down? Sure. But we don't know why. I'm not a veterinarian. I don't know why that animal is tied down. So what right. should I do? Go and ask. You know, like I had the luxury of being able to go back inside and ask. Not everyone else does. You guys, unfortunately, have to go online and do your research and get information from someone other than PETA. Well, that's <laughs> right. PETA's already there, applied their own caption. There's to the other photo. sources of information than the animal rights groups yeah my uh, initial interaction with activists was to discover for myself like and see for myself i heard what they had to say you know everyone's entitled to their free speech and to their opinions so i i totally 
took in what they said and respected what they were saying. But then I made sure to go back inside and, and ask and say, hey, people outside are angry and waving these photos. Do you know where these photos came from? Tell me about these photos. Yeah. You guys are animal specialists. You know, tell me what you see. So having both sides of any issue is very important, but especially where animal welfare is concerned and taking care of animals is concerned. It's very important to not make ignorant, personal, emotion-based decisions and assumptions, for sure. They, Yeah, the animal rights groups are very adept at preying on emotion and uh, it's, it's philosophy, it's ide- ideology. And uh, most of the people, one, they hire protesters. I was actually looking at some freelance jobs locally here because I had a little time and there were actually animal rights protesting jobs for different, you know, against different industries. But a lot oh, of times paid protesters, protesters, but also those who have actually come to the show, right? So right. the outcry is not from them who those who have come and seen. And I don't, I never dismiss people who care, like you're saying. I always say mm-hmm. that I, I care about animals and we're together on that. We part company when you make a decision about something you don't know and you're not willing to listen to anymore. That's why I'm doing this podcast, actually, to introduce people to the experts so that they they understand there's more to the story and have something more. They're more equipped to, you know, make up their mind or at least be open minded. Some people will say, well, it doesn't matter. There are no elephants and circuses anymore. Actually, that's not true at all. There are mm-hmm. uh, performing animals still. Ringling chose not to do it. And there were mm-hmm. more decisions behind that than, than you're being told by, especially the animal rights groups. They didn't quit because of animal issues. They actually won a major lawsuit right before they took, decided to take the animals off the road. So I was, I was frustrated because they actually had won against the animal rights groups, a multi-million dollar lawsuit. So... Uh, unfortunately that story isn't out there as well. So that's what my podcast is designed to do is to help tell that story through people like yourself and the experts that you went to the Dr. Schmitz, who was the ringling vet and the elephant handlers. And then Dr. Ted friend who actually conducted studies. So all good information. Megan, I want to give you an opportunity to wrap this up for us. What would you say to folks about it? You know, we're farmers, uh, New York carriage horses, Iditarod race, whatever it is we do with animals. If we, mm-hmm. you know, how do we find out more information and how do we get comfortable with the fact that these might be fine if they're done in the spirit of animal welfare and animal well-being? What would you want to leave folks with who are very judgmental or made up their mind about that? Um, I would kind of go back to what we were just talking about a little bit and be careful that you're not expressing that you're not uh, pigeonholing yourself into one view. Um, Respect both sides of the issue. You know, I I listened to the activists outside the circus, you know, just because I worked for the circus did not mean that I closed my mind to people who were not in the circus. You know, I needed both sides to make a decision for myself. So, you know, you're going to see, stuff from PETA, you're going to see stuff from the ASPCA and and all kinds of different organizations. And you might have to look a little harder to get the um, opposite views of those organizations or, or to get other information. So that might mean going to a government website and looking at existing animal laws um, to see like 
what what rights are surrounding animals and what laws already exist? How could those laws be improved? Because the bottom line is really caring for animals. And if you care for the animals, you've got to respect both sides of these issues. Um, and the animal's welfare is more important than the ideal, to be honest. Um, so if you, I think if you have the animals in mind, you're thinking of animal welfare, the well-being of the animals. Yeah. But if you have the ideal first and foremost in your mind, then you're putting the animals second. And that's your prerogative, but just be aware of what you're doing. <laughs> you know, be aware that you are you are supporting an ideal of animals, you know, living in an idyllic wild. That's a great ideal to have. But in the meantime, do you want to consider animal welfare for actual living, breathing individual beings that are animals? You know, that's it's two different things um, that sometimes intersect. Uh, but just just being aware of of what you're supporting and and being careful to, I guess, get your priorities in order. Uh, personally, like, are you are you focusing on animal welfare and uh, animal well being, or are you pursuing an ideal? Because pursuing an ideal can hurt animals, and so you you want to be just very careful and keep your keep your mind open uh, yeah. to hear as many views as you can, and not just one. Latch onto it. You know, take your blinders off and, and listen to both sides of, of any argument involving animals. Thank you, Megan. That's really well said and uh, so so well articulated and so authentic from someone who did exactly that. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to yap on about this. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I so enjoyed talking to Megan, and I hope you appreciate it as well, the information she's bringing forward. One of the things she said, and I say it in every podcast, is go see for yourself. She was inquisitive. She actually asked questions of both sides. And there's no shortage of information from the animal rights community. Even if you're not looking for it, it's coming to you in some form or another. But... Go to zoos, circuses, ask carriage drivers, go to websites of businesses that you're interested in or that you hear information about. And of course, share this podcast. I do my best to bring you the experts in various fields, particularly those who are vilified by the animal rights community. I want to provide the other side of the story. Very important to me. And one of the things Megan said was that, you know, you can make up your own mind with the information. The, the danger in all of this is that legislation is being passed on some of the ideology, and that is really dangerous. It's putting good people out of business and taking away your right to interact with animals. So again, go see for yourself. Check out some more information and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Rate and review it, and please share it. This is important information. Help folks understand that there is more to this story. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again. Listen in on our next episode of Animal Tales. <laughs>